an assassinated Bolshevik, a delicious fungus, and one of the greatest artists of the 20th century. This week, we're in Mexico City. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. I'm your host, Brent Peterson. Each week, we explore a different city talk about its unique dishes and beverages, and I tell you about the most fun and interesting things to do there. This week, we're in sprawling Mexico City, home to over 20 million people. The sheer size of Mexico City might seem overwhelming, but with a little planning, it can be manageable for the foodie visitor. And with a combination of traditional foods with a bunch of innovative chefs opening world-renowned restaurants, Mexico City is definitely worth a trip. So, Let's eat. What to eat? Hey, you gonna finish that? On Destination Eat Drink. There's so much more to Mexico City than we can fit into a single podcast, so check out Destination Eat Drink for more great dishes, beverages, and things to do in the City of Hope. Just click on DestinationEatDrink.com, North America, and Mexico City. In 2015, my novel Truffle Hunt was published. I'd spent three years researching and writing a fictional story about a family in Croatia who farmed and foraged for truffles, also about the New York City reporter who stays with the family while writing a story about the underground fungi. During the research for the book, I learned more about this mysterious underground fruiting body that we call truffles than anyone could ever possibly need to know. I would also occasionally stumble upon information about other edible fungi. One of these is called wheat licoche. It's also sometimes referred to as corn smut. But with high-end restaurants charging a premium for dishes with this ingredient, you can see why they would much rather call it wheat licoche than corn smut. Wheat licoche is a fungus, and it grows on corn. And in the United States and Europe, it's considered a blight. If farmers find it infected on their plants, they'll take those plants and destroy them, burn them, or feed them to livestock. But in Mexico, wheat licoche has been consumed for centuries and is considered a delicacy. When conditions are right, usually after it rains, these gray pillows begin to form over the kernels of corn. They start to swell, and finally, they burst open the husk, revealing the fungus that has invaded the plant. Wheat licoche can be pureed into a sauce, it can be used in soups, or it can be used as a filling in quesadillas. Fresh wheat licoche is the best, but it's difficult to find in the U.S., although it's getting easier all the time. You can check your local Mexican grocery store or high-end gourmet market for wheat licoche, but you're most likely to find it canned, which will do in a pinch when fresh wheat licoche isn't available, but fresh is always best. We hired a driver in Mexico City for the day. Um, it's an extravagance, sure, but this particular day we were planning stops all over Mexico City and didn't want to spend the better part of the day getting lost on the public transit. So we bit the financial bullet. We got a driver, and I'm glad we did. Not only was he knowledgeable about all of Mexico City, but 
He even knew about Wheat Lacoche and took us to a restaurant called Ava Maria, a restaurant that serves Wheat Lacoche. Even without the Wheat Lacoche, Ava Maria is worth a visit. It's reasonably priced, and it's right on Jardin Centenario, a lively square that's famous for its coyote fountain. We sat outside and watched as a young lady was photobombed in celebration of her quinceanera. There's a picture of her getting photobombed and another of the coyote fountain if you go on DestinationEatDrink.com. Mexico City is also becoming world-renowned for its high-end restaurants. You might think street tacos when you think of Mexico City, but there's places like Pujol, which is ranked number 13 in best restaurants in the world. Chef Enrique Olvera has created an incredible menu that changes all the time. But it is expensive, and you have to get your reservations well in advance for a less expensive option, Chef Olvera has created Cafe Eno. It's got several locations throughout Mexico City, and the food is excellent and more reasonably priced. Another great high-end restaurant in Mexico City is called Quintanel. They have a fantastic tasting menu. If you're into seafood, this is the place to go. It also features lots of fresh ingredients. But again, if you're planning on going... Make your reservation at least one month in advance. People from Mexico City are called Chilango. This term was once thought of as derogatory. In fact, some people still feel it's derogatory. But most people in Mexico City have now embraced the term Chilango. And the Chilango love their cakes and sweets. And the more extravagant, the better. These cakes can be several feet high and elaborately decorated. Pasteleria Ideal is a very good bakery, lots of cookies and pastries. But if you just walk in, you might say, what's the big fuss about? I mean, it looks nice and they've got good cookies and they've got good cakes and everything seems nice. But where you really want to go is upstairs. Upstairs is where the real show is. This is where the cakes for weddings, birthdays, quinceaneras are displayed. Marvel at the work that goes into these culinary masterworks of art. They are huge and they are elaborate and they're wonderful to look at. Mexico City is also famous for its markets. Mercado de San Juan is a culinary market catering mostly to locals and chefs and those with a taste for the odd and exotic. You'll see grasshoppers, scorpions, and other insects for sale, along with wonderful rows of super fresh fruits and vegetables. Ask lots of questions, taste some samples, you're sure to discover something new. And if you're one of the truly adventurous, go to the meat vendors for wild boar, ostrich, and other exotic mammals' flesh. Some vendors sell what they say is lion and tiger meat, although you can count me as a skeptic. I think they're just saying that to jack up the prices and to try and shock people. Needless to say, vegetarians, keep your distance. Another good market is La Merced. It's overwhelming cornucopia of meat and vegetables and people lots and lots of people, is very authentic, but the squeamish should stay away from the meat area where animals are butchered right there out in the open. 
Yuck. My advice is to visit here with a guide or a local and don't walk to Market La Merced. The neighborhood is pretty dangerous. If you plan to go alone, take the metro. That'll drop you right in the middle of the market or take an Uber. And as in all places in the world where there are lots of people, keep your money and valuables hidden. And that brings up a good point. People are often concerned about traveling to Mexico because of safety reasons. And of course, there's dangerous places in Mexico, just like there's dangerous places in the United States or anywhere. But Mexico City itself is relatively safe. In fact, if you compare the homicide rate to New Orleans, New Orleans homicide rate is twice that of Mexico City. And I've been to New Orleans many, many times and never had an issue. If you compare it to St. Louis, St. Louis's homicide rate is three times that of Mexico City. Of course, that doesn't mean you should be reckless either. Most tourist areas are safe even after dark, but caution should always be exercised, just like you would in any major American city. Want to drink? I'll have another on Destination Eat Drink. Get the Destination Eat Drink podcast delivered to your phone or computer automatically. Just subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or get it at radiomisfits.com. Mezcal is a smoky liquor made from the agave plant, and the legend of its origin has a lightning bolt striking an agave plant, splitting it open and cooking the agave juice that was inside. That's why they call the agave juice the elixir of the gods. While mezcal and tequila both come from the agave plant, mezcal and tequila are not the same thing. Tequila is made exclusively from blue agave, mostly in the region of Jalisco. The heart of the blue agave is steamed and then distilled. Mezcal, on the other hand, uses espiden agave mostly, although there's no hard and fast rules about what agave needs to be used in mezcal. Other varieties are used, and most mezcal is made in the state of Oaxaca. The agave heart, instead of being steamed, is cooked in earthen ovens, which are often lined with stones. This is what gives mezcal its characteristic smoky flavor. Now, while most tequila has been industrialized in Mexico, there are still some artisanal producers of tequila, and you can still find interesting tequilas. Mezcal, on the other hand, mostly has avoided this industrialization. Some mezcal has been industrialized, but mostly what you'll find with mezcal is it's made in the traditional way by small-scale producers. Any bar in Mexico City will have mezcal on their menu, but a fun way to sample mezcal is by taking a tasting tour. Since drinking mezcal on an empty stomach is always a bad idea, the Sabores Mexico Taco Beer and Mezcal Tour is a fun way to sample mezcal. Tacos fresh off the griddle with beer and mezcal, what more could you possibly want? But if you want to create your own tasting menu of mezcal, check out La Botica. They have six locations throughout Mexico City and different mezcal varieties to try. 
if it's not too busy, the bartenders are usually willing to give you a quick mezcal tutorial. Now, if you walk by Bosfaro Mezcaleria, you'll think this is not a place that's worth much of my time at all. It definitely looks like a dive bar from the outside. And when you go to the inside, it's still a dive bar. But here's what it has. Bosforo has a rotating list of artisanal mezcal, many of which you can't get anywhere else and are often on the menu for only a short time. So if you're looking for that unique mezcal experience, this is the place to go. Bosforo Mezcaleria. Things to do and places to see. I don't know. What do you want to do? On Destination Eat Drink. If you have a question or a comment about Destination Eat Drink, I'm easy enough to find. On Facebook or Instagram, check out Destination Eat Drink. On Twitter, Eat Destination. Or click on the contact tab at DestinationEatDrink.com. Frida Kahlo was one of the most important and interesting artists of the 20th century. Her work laid bare the experience of a female in Mexico. The female voice was, up until then, largely silent, but I think sometimes her iconic status as a feminist role model often outshines her work. You can see her famous face with flowers in her hair and that unibrow across her forehead on everything from T-shirts to coffee mugs to throw pillows. But Frida herself, her paintings, her work is what really should be the everlasting legacy of Frida Kahlo. And to see that, one of the best ways is to go to the house where she was born and where she lived. Frida was born in the Coyoacan neighborhood of Mexico City in a house called La Casa Azul, the Blue House. This neighborhood wasn't always part of Mexico City, and now it seems a million miles away. It's a quiet little neighborhood. She lived there with her husband, the artist Diego Rivera, and today the house is a museum and looks pretty much as it did in the years before Frida died in 1954. You can visit the museum. The rooms of the house are packed with artifacts from Frida's life. One room is filled with her dresses, which were such an important part of her image. Other rooms have personal effects like her wheelchair and her prosthetic leg. She was severely injured in a bus accident when she was young. Of course, there are paintings by Frida on display as well, like Viva la Vida, and lesser-known works like Portrait of My Father and the unfinished Portrait of Stalin that Frida painted in 1954, just as she was dying and was heavily medicated. Speaking of Stalin, Frida was probably better known during her lifetime for her politics rather than her artwork. Her husband, Diego Rivera, was much better known as an artist, and Frida, it seemed, her work was almost an afterthought to most audiences and critics. She had very few solo shows of her artwork during her lifetime. Today, of course, Frida is a worldwide icon, while Diego, still popular, is much less regarded in importance as an artist than his wife. 
But Frida and Diego both were avowed communists. In fact, they took Leon Trotsky and his wife into the Blue House as guests in 1937 after Trotsky was expelled from the Soviet Union by Stalin, who had concentrated his power and pushed out his former ally. Published accounts say that Trotsky and Frida had an adulterous affair, which led to Trotsky being kicked out of the Blue House in 1939. He moved just around the corner and was assassinated in that same house in 1940 by a Russian operative, no doubt ordered by Stalin himself. So you can see why I say it's ironic that Frida would paint Stalin after he kicked her boyfriend out of Russia and then likely ordered his murder. But paint Stalin she did, I guess in some cases politics outweigh love. Anyway, speaking of Trotsky, you can visit his home as well. It's also a museum, and it's just a short walk from Frida's Blue House. So it's interesting to see both of them back to back because you can compare the difference between the Blue House and Trotsky's house, where Kahlo's house has this lushly maintained garden in the courtyard where you can sit and relax and listen to birds and sit in the shade of trees. Trotsky's backyard has rabbit hutches. Where Frida's colorful artwork decorates walls, Leon's walls are Spartan, and his bed really isn't much more than an army cot. But in one concession to capitalism, there is a small gift shop in the front of the Trotsky Museum, which I'm sure would have been a big disappointment to one of the fathers of communism. Xochimilco is one of the boroughs of Mexico City. The canals and the colorful boats that skim across the water is one of the most popular tourist attractions in the city. Tourists and locals alike hop on the boats for a ride through some of the canals that trace 100 miles around man-made islands in Xochimilco. The experience is quite charming and can be best done on a Sunday. This is when the locals come out to float on boats, to have picnics, to socialize with one another. It's kind of like going to the park on the weekend in the United States or a huge backyard barbecue. Everyone is enjoying the experience as vendors float up and down the canals selling food and drinks to the passing boats. And then There's boats with mariachi bands. You can pay them and flag them down and they'll sidle up to your boat and play a song or two. It's really quite a fun experience when there's lots of people out on the canals. You can enjoy the whole experience in an hour or two, but if you want to go on a longer tour, you can see the famous Island of Dolls. Don't be fooled. On the shorter one or two hour tours, you won't be able to see the Island of Dolls. It's too far out. It takes at least two hours one way to get to the Island of Dolls. The Island of Dolls has a legend around it. A young girl drowned in the canal under mysterious circumstances, and the caretaker of one of the islands in the canal found her doll floating and in order to pay tribute to her, hung the doll on a tree. Soon he started hanging other dolls and doll parts 
on dozens and dozens of trees around the island. This caretaker, Julian, he died in 2001, but the dolls remain, and you can visit on a four-hour, two hours each way tour. It's creepy, it's macabre, it's disturbing, and it's also quite popular. Speaking of creepy, for a real walk on the wild side, the Mercado Sonara has a witchcraft and occult section. If you go, ignore the vendors out front with household goods and counterfeit knockoff items and turn away from the sad and malnourished animals for sale and head to the back couple rows of the market. This is where you'll find the potions, the medicinal plants, the incense and the lotions that can fix any problem a human being could have, including the problems of the lovelorn. And if you visit near the Day of the Dead, you'll find plenty of trinkets for your celebration. And speaking of the Day of the Dead, you know the skeleton dressed as a bride you see in Mexican shops or on TV? That's Santa Muerte. She's been a part of Mexican culture for a long time, but in the last 20 years, she's really come to the forefront. In 2001, Enriqueta Romero built a shrine to Santa Morte in front of her house. People gather there and leave offerings, and at least once a month, Enriqueta or one of her sons leads a prayer at the sanctuary and recites the Santa Morte Rosary. Today, there are said to be over 10 million devotees of Santa Morte, mostly in Mexico and the southern United States. In Mexico, death isn't so much mourned as embraced, even celebrated. Some Americans might have trouble wrapping their heads around this, but perhaps a visit to the Museo de Arte Popular will help. Dedicated to the folk art of Mexico, there's lots and lots of exhibits in the museum that feature Santa Morte and Day of the Dead themes. 1,500 years ago, Teotihuacan, also known as the City of the Gods, was the biggest city in the Americas. Somewhere between 150,000 and 200,000 people inhabited the city, but by the 7th or 8th century, much of the city was destroyed and the population was gone. There are several theories around about why the city depopulated, sacking by an outside power, internal strife, drought, or crop failure brought on by a volcanic eruption. But truth is, no one knows the reason they left. By the time the Aztecs came into town, they were just as puzzled about the Teotihuacan as we are today. And if you want to go to Teotihuacan, you can take tour buses out to the site for a reasonable price, or you can drive yourself. Uh, taxis and Ubers are rather expensive to get to Teotihuacan, 25 miles it is from Mexico City. There's also buses that, uh, city buses that travel to Teotihuacan, but even though those tickets are cheap, be aware there have been reports of robberies occurring on the buses. So leave your valuables at home. If you decide to take a private bus tour, be aware of this. The bus tour will undoubtedly stop at one or more tourist traps along the way. Um, maybe this is an artisanal site where they try to get you to buy obsidian pieces of art, turtles and little pieces of jewelry. And of course, there's nothing wrong with buying that stuff, but know this. Most of these places are just selling crappy knockoffs 
of obsidian. It's real obsidian, but it's mass produced. If you want to get something made by a real artist, make sure you see the real artists actually doing the work. Otherwise, you're undoubtedly paying way more than you need to. The site at Teotihuacan is hot and dusty, and there's no reprieve from the sun with shade. So be sure that you bring a hat, sunscreen, and water when you go to the site. You can hire a guide on the site, or you can book one of these bus tours that already has a guide. Either way, the main attraction inside is the pyramids, the Pyramid of the Sun, and the Pyramid of the Moon. The Pyramid of the Sun is the larger pyramid. In fact, it's the third largest pyramid in the world. The only two bigger ones, they're in Egypt. You can climb both the sun and the moon, and if you're fit, you definitely should. They reward you with superb views and great opportunity for taking a selfie. But be sure to take breaks along the way. It's a steep climb. My advice Go in the morning when it's cooler. In the middle of the day, it gets unbearably hot, and that climb is tough. The pyramids aren't the only attractions at Teotihuacan. There's several structures you can go inside which have paintings and sculptures and other cool carvings. And there's also an excellent museum on site. Take plenty of time to poke around. I suggest getting one of these tours with a guide attached to it. It's Nice, and it's fun to wander around Teotihuacan, but if you're just looking around with no context, it's not as informative as it could be with a guide. While you're at Teotihuacan, you will definitely be approached by vendors selling jewelry, flutes, and carved obsidian. If you're not interested, ignore them. If you show any interest whatsoever, it's nearly impossible to get rid of them. And whatever you do, don't buy any quote-unquote ancient artifacts from these guys. They're fake. They're completely fake. And even if they were real, it would be highly illegal to buy, sell, or possess them. Tips and inside information on Destination Eat Drink. I like talking about and writing about my favorite food and beverages from around the world. And when I'm not doing that, I like to write fiction. You can check out my foodie novel, Truffle Hunt, and my collection of short stories called That Bird on DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on Contacts and Books. Getting to Mexico City is easy. All you need is a passport. Flights into the Mexico City International Airport are plentiful. Unfortunately, Southwest Airlines recently discontinued their service to Mexico City. That was my favorite and easiest way to get there. But most airlines in the United States that fly internationally fly into Mexico City. Mexico City has an extensive public transit system. It's reliable, but it's often crowded and uncomfortable. Taxis are expensive. Uber is much cheaper and is definitely the way to go. A rental car is not necessary in Mexico City, but if you're traveling further afield, you might consider one. Many of the neighborhoods in Mexico City are calm and without the traffic problems that are present elsewhere. So this makes bike riding a really good option. Mexico City has set up a great bike rental system called EcoBiki. They've got hundreds of bike rental stations all over the city, making it easy to rent, ride, and then drop off your bike. 
your American cell phone won't work in Mexico. Buy a SIM card at the airport or at a convenience store in the city. They're cheap and you can add data inexpensively too. But one thing to make sure that your phone is unlocked before you travel to Mexico. If you don't know what that means, call your cell phone carrier and see if you have an unlocked phone or if they can unlock it for you. While most experienced travelers will tell you that the water is safe in Mexico City, I usually stick to bottled water just in case. As for the street food, you'll probably be fine. Uh, For me, I've got a low tolerance for nasty stomach bugs, so this is the advice that I always go by. The street food in Mexico City is exciting and vibrant, and if you want to try some, the best way is to look for a place that's busy with a long line of locals. That's not going to guarantee that you won't have a problem, but it's going to greatly diminish the odds. Before you go on your trip, make sure to call your bank. Make sure they know that you're going to be traveling abroad. Then use your debit card at an ATM to withdraw money. Cash is king, and it's much easier to make purchases with bills than credit cards. And getting money from an ATM is way less expensive than exchanging cash. I see people coming down to Mexico with huge wads of bills, exchanging it at the airport or exchanging it at one of those cash exchange places. And I can't help but think that they would get a much better rate if they would just use the ATM. Not only that, but you can withdraw in increments that you decide instead of hauling around with this huge wad of cash in your pocket or back at the hotel. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Destination Eat Drink. A new show drops each and every Friday, so join me next week. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla. He's a great guy. If you see him, shake his hand and tell him thanks. I'm Brent Peterson. And I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.